want you to take out your bulletins this morning, and we want to welcome you as we kick off or continue in our series, Jingle All the Way. Now, if you remember last week, we had a jingle in our mind. And if you don't know what a jingle is, it's a short song or tune that is usually put to a commercial or some type of advertisement. And last week, we talked about God's love, being surrounded by God's love, and our jingle was... Perfect love cast out all fear. See, you got to remember that. But it's good. This, we have a new one this week, so you got to memorize this new one. But I want you to take out your bulletins because in there is a place for your notes that you can follow along. And we also have our membership uh, form that you can fill out. We're um, updating it for the year 2017, so you can fill that out. And then this one is very important. It's an invitation uh, to pass out to people, and that way they... They know where, what time our services are, and you can invite someone to church. It'll also remind you when our service times are. So don't forget, okay? Please pay attention to this because you'll show up when we're not here, and then you won't show up when we are. So we want to make sure that you are aware of the different service times. But today we're going to be talking about just a, a, wonderful, uh, a wonderful promise from God. But did you know that with every promise that God gives to us, there's always, there's always a premise. There's something before it. There's a, there's a blessing that God wants to bring our way, but he always prepares us for the promise. And that's what we want to talk about today. And I, I look at it this way. When you look at every miracle that was performed in the, in the Bible, there was always a mess. Before every miracle, there is a mess. Before every promise, there is a premise. And we want to learn from God's word, how does he prepare us for his promises? In fact, he prepared for the promise of the coming of Jesus Christ through John the Baptist. And we're going to look at the life of John the Baptist and how he prepared the way for Jesus to be here. And the reason why we're calling it Jingle All the Way is because we play jingles in our mind. Or when there is a jingle on TV, we hear it and we, it gets stuck in our mind. But sometimes we play, we play uh, different phrases in our mind of our past. We talk about our behavior. Or maybe people remind us about the negative things that took place in our lives. So we say it over and over in our mind like a jingle. But God wants us to have a different kind of jingle. He wants us to think of the good things that he's doing, not dwell on the bad things. He said, dwell on the good things, that which is true, honorable, praiseworthy. Dwell on these things. See, a jingle sticks in your mind, doesn't it? I'm going to give you a jingle, a well-known one, and you finish it, okay? It goes like this. Like a good neighbor. My kai, look at that. That's good. See, we know it because we say it over and over, or we hear it over and Excuse over. Excuse me. And so, Hi, Pastor Shelley. How are you? How are you? How are you today? I'm doing fine. You're oh, doing okay? Uh, yeah. Are you I right? was just wondering okay. uh, what was going on with the jingle all the way. I know no, that you're singing is, and everybody else is singing. This is our series that we're going so in. Good. I'm so proud of you guys. Hi. I'm, I thought the State Hi. Farm rep was going to show up, not you. Well, however catchy that jingle is, it holds no real summoning powers as right. might, one might perceive. Well, I, actually know this, I actually know this fact that oh, okay. a, a jingle is a short tune or a short song put to like advertisements. Or put to commercials. Very good. See, Pastor I know some facts Sheldon. too. You have done your homework. Yes, I have. Oh, I just love it. Well, uh, did you know that the jingle actually has no definitive status? Right. You know, its infiltration to the radio uh, airwaves actually was more of a of an evolutionary process than it was a sudden innovation. Right. And actually, product advertisements with a musical tilt actually dates all the way back to 1923. And if there's one company that can be credited who began this, it is General Mills, who actually so had the, their product replacement of Wheaties, and they had a seminal radio bite that actually aired for the first time on Christmas Eve That's of 1926, awesome. and wow. it was entitled, Have You Tried Wheaties? It was actually sung by four male singers, and they were later christened as the, the Wheaties Quartet. That's wow, what they that, were called. That's so good, but actually, I, I wanted... actually have the sound back there. Roll it upstairs. Wow. Right? That's so good. How I did know, you get to our you. tech people? Oh, my goodness. Oh, we became friends. I actually got oh, never in contact mind. I don't, with your... I don't, that oh. doesn't bother me. I just oh, okay. probably have some type of long explanation. Anyway, oh. but thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you, all your extensive research and all that you've done. Yes. But I, yes. I, I need to get to the message of God because like a good pastor, I have God's message to share. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So That's, I, I need That's to... fun. Okay, let me try. Let me try. Um, um, I am McBrainy. 
great knowledge in there. <laughs> wow, that's that's this is fun. I could do this so all good. day. That's pretty good. I like that. So I'll see you later. I'll see you later. Good oh, seeing you today. Okay. Much later. All right. Well. Okay. Actually, you. just one more thing. You know, speaking yeah. of radio, you know, back in the day, I was quite the young MC myself. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, you can leave now. I don't think they care. Oh. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Can we just thank All McBrainy right. for showing Years up anytime she wants to? Thank you so much. He doesn't even care about the musical quality of the product replacement. He just don't get it. <laughs> she needs help. Oh boy! So we are going to be talking about. The promises of God. I think we all want God's promises. I think we strive for God's very best. I think McBrainy strives for God's very best. But sometimes we get in the way. Knowledge gets in the way. Sometimes life gets in the way. But the beautiful thing to the mess behind Christmas is that God showed up. That God came to us, born in a manger. That in the mess of it all, That's where Jesus shows up, the Son of God, in such a way that reminds us that even though life may look messy, God is still there. And I think for us, whatever we go through, it should be a great reminder that God never leaves us. He will always be there for us. There's a story in the Bible in the book of Luke, chapter 1, that God gives us the preparation, the preparing of Jesus Christ coming to this earth. None of God's promises have ever failed. And what God promises, he is always able to do. He's not slow about his promises. Even from the very beginning when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and and sin came into the world, the moment that happened, God already had his plan spinning into fruition, coming into life, and coming into reality by sending us his one and only son. It was already in action. And thousands of years after that, after Adam and Eve's sin, here comes Jesus at the perfect time to show us God's way. And before Jesus shows up, before that promise of God to redeem the world, to to give us a way back to the Father, before Jesus is sent, God prepares the way through a man by the name of John the Baptist. Now, last week, we talked a little bit about when we talked about surrounded by God's love and and Mary, and when the angel visited Mary, we also kind of took a snapshot picture of John the Baptist and, and how God used him to prepare the way. John the Baptist had a father. His name was Zechariah. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80, it highlights what took place before Jesus was born. I mean, just think about it. The promise of God before that even takes place, the promise of the Messiah, the chosen one, of Jesus Christ, before that takes place, God has to prepare the world for what is about to happen. It's kind of like a wedding. You don't just get married. You don't just see someone. In fact, I think there's a TV show that's uh, married at first sight. The, they, like they get married at that, for that person that they see. I, I don't know how that show works. I've never watched it. But we don't get married without preparing for it. Now, we prepare our very best, and then we get married. And then when we're married, we're thinking, whoa, I didn't know it was this difficult. Oh, marriage takes a lot of work. But so does preparing for marriage. It takes a lot of planning. It takes some thought. It takes a proposal. You don't just have your, the bride or the groom just show up by accident and say, hey, I guess we're getting married, right? Look, the priest is here. The pastor's here. It just doesn't happen. There is a, there's a preparing that takes place. And when God brings the promise of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, he prepares the way. Let's look at John, uh, the life of John, John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 1. I'll read from verse 57, and it's the birth of John the Baptist. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, I'll read it to us. But it says this, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Now remember, Elizabeth was Mary's relative. And when Mary was told by the Spirit of God that she will be with child and she will give birth to the Son of God. Remember, he said, even your relative Elizabeth is in her third month. 
So when Mary visits Elizabeth, the baby leaps in her womb, and that baby is John the Baptist. So when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and says, no, no, no. He is to be called John. They said to her, there is, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they, made, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Because remember, when, when the angel said to John, uh, to Zechariah, you will have a child. And Zechariah said, wait, how is this going to happen? Yeah, your, your wife will conceive. She who was barren will have a son. And he gave Zechariah some instructions. And Zechariah said, how is this possible for, since, since she is of old age? How is this going to take place? And because he doubted a little bit, the angel says, you're not going to be able to speak. And so he was mute. So the people were trying to make signs to Zechariah to find out what he would like to name the child. So he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So they knew this was no ordinary birth. This was no ordinary thing in the family. Something extraordinary was taking place. A miracle was happening right in front of them. His father, Zechariah, in verse 67, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And he, he sang this song, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. This is Zechariah speaking. So everything the Lord said is going to happen, Zechariah is now blessing John with. He's saying this to John. that You're going to prepare the way for the prophet of the Most High to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come up to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, although Zechariah sings this song and he's thinking of these things, he's, he's really saying a couple things. He actually, he actually talks about the redemption that God came to save us. And John is going to prepare the way for that to happen. But that God also brought us salvation. He's going to save us. He sent us a Savior. And he's going to bring us to a place of salvation. That we're not lost without God. He's saving us. He's delivering his people. Zechariah is, is so close to the word of God that he's, he's wanting us to remember that when God wants to give us a promise, he will always prepare us for that promise. And we might be in our, our, our families right now. Maybe there are some things that are happening that maybe no one else knows of. Maybe you're wondering if, if this relationship is going to work out. Maybe you're wondering how the finances are going to be after Christmas. Maybe there's a health problem, a family member struggling with something. Maybe this is the first Christmas without the loved one, and you're wondering, what is it going to be like? And God says, hang on, I have a promise for you. But before every promise, I've got to prepare you for it. He prepares our hearts. He prepares our thought life. 
He prepares us so that when the promise comes, we can actually run with the promise of God. And that's what Zechariah was highlighting. It's interesting that the only, the only time Zechariah really referred to his son, John the Baptist, well, he didn't know he was going to be John the Baptist. He just knew he was going to do, he knew he was going to prepare the way for Jesus. But the whole theme of his song wasn't really centered to his son, John. It was about God's saving grace. It was about the word of God. It was about God redeeming mankind. And the only reference he makes to his only son, John, is that John would prepare the way for Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a significance, a, a, a theological significance in just knowing that Zechariah was pinpointing that John was going to prepare the way for Jesus. I mean, every, I think we all want our children to grow up to be great. We want them to do great things. But Zechariah did something even, even more profound, I believe, with, with what God was already speaking to him. That, yeah, John, John was going to do something great to prepare the way, but he was going to be second, not first. Jesus was to be first. And Zechariah was okay with that because he knew that it was so important for John to prepare the way for the Most High. And as a parent, he took that to heart and he, he knew what needed to be done. And so he obeyed God to the very core of his being. You know, people thought that John the Baptist was the promised one. John the Baptist was actually the last prophet of the Old Testament to prepare the way for Jesus. God's timing is impeccable, perfect. And so when John shows up, people were saying, hey, he, is he the Messiah? Because people are flocking to him. They're going to him, and John is baptizing them. That was John's ministry. It was baptizing people unto repentance, that they would change their ways and turn towards God, that they would repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And because John was doing that, people were going to him to be baptized. But then even John himself knew he was not the Messiah. He was not the chosen one. John himself said, I baptize you with water, but the one but one who is more powerful than me will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John was the preparation before the promise of the Savior of the world. That's what John came to do. And at that time, Israel wasn't in the, the best condition. They were still under Roman oppression. They were still under rule. So it wasn't the, it, they weren't so-called free to do whatever they wanted. They were a nation within a nation. Life was messy. But they knew that God was still there. They knew the promise of God still remained. And because God's promise still remained, they knew that something was just about to happen. Did you know that when you can sense God's promise up ahead, you're going to encounter some mess? And when you encounter some messes, it's an indication that God's promise is right around the corner. This is what the devil loves the most. He loves when we bail out right before the promise. That, that gets him wild up. It, it makes him even that much more joyful because he knew how close we were to the promise of God, the promise of a restorative relationship, the promise of, of being redeemed by the Lord, the promise of God using us in great ways. And right before that, something happens, and then we bail out, and God says the promise was right there. And so God says, you hang in there. We're going to look at three things that will help us to understand that before every promise, God prepares us. And the first thing is this. If you want to write down some notes, before every promise, there is a premise. Before every promise, there is a premise that something is set forth beforehand as, as, as a, maybe something that's given as an instruction. Maybe God asks us to do something. Maybe you read something in the Bible and God says, here's what I'm asking you to do, and he explains it to us. And that's the premise, something, something God gives to us. Because before every promise, there is a premise, and he's going to set us up. Don't miss the premise before the promise. Don't miss the instruction before the promises of God. He's going to give us instruction 
Even in our marriages. Boy, we battle with this all the time. That we know we need to do something as husbands or you need to do something as a wife to honor God in your relationship. But our flesh takes over and we say, I'm not wrong though. He's wrong. She's wrong. He needs to ask for forgiveness. She needs to ask for forgiveness. And God says, you go first. That's the premise. The promise is a restored relationship. But we fight it. We fight the premise and never receive the promise. God says it's the premise time that is the most struggle. That's where you're going to struggle the most. It's when I give you instruction. Oh, we love the promises of God. We love being in the promise of God. But we hate the premises of God. We don't like the, the preparing time. But we love the promise of God. He says, you're never going to receive my promise unless you walk through the premise. It was the Israelites when they were freed from Egypt out of slavery that they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years before the promised land because they disobeyed God. It took them 40 years to get to the promised land. There was a premise. And God says, if you obey me, here's the promised land. You can get there in three weeks, six weeks. But it took them 40 years because they did not accept the premises of God. There is no promise without a premise. God says, this is where I want you to be, to not miss out the premise. Otherwise, we bail out before the promise comes to pass. You know, if, if I bailed out of, my, if, uh, of all the premises that God gave to me as a husband, I wouldn't be where I am in my relationship with Heidi, my wife. We, we would not be in a, a better place than we were years ago. I, I want to give you a couple premises and some promises that God gave to me that I just want to share with you. And it's, it's nothing, you know, extravagant. It's just, it, it means something to myself. And I want to give this to you as an example. Maybe you're a, someone who needs a practical example. But here are some promises that God spoke to Heidi and I long ago. One of the promises that he gave to us is he says, you will be best friends. And you will want to hang out with each other. You're going to want to be around each other. So that was God's promise to us. Here was the premise. You need to serve one another. You need to complement each other. Not compete against each other. You complement one another. You support each other. You serve one another. That was the premise. Another promise is he says you're going to own your own home together and raise your family together. That was his promise. The premise was that Heidi and I did a, what we call a 10-10-80 plan. We tithed 10%, we saved 10%, and then we lived off of 80% of our income. Now, in the beginning, oh, it was difficult because we, we knew how to spend money. We just didn't know how to save. We, we gave to God sporadically, but His promise was here, and in order for us to reach His promise, we had to take care of the premise. So we tithed, saved, and then lived off of 80. And God's promise came to pass. He also said this, you will serve me in greater ways than you are at that time. That was his promise. The premise, I got to continue to learn and grow, never quit, keep moving forward, even when ministry gets tough and life is messy. You keep moving forward. You fix things. You come to me and you make things right with me. You make things right with other people. You make things right with Heidi, your family. You make sure you stay strong with me. Because there are greater things up ahead. And God's promise came to pass. Here's one personally for me that he, he gave to me long ago. And this is probably about seven, eight years ago. And he said this, you will play with your grandchildren one day. That was his promise. You will play with your grandchildren one day. Here was the premise. But you need to stay healthy, exercise, and eat right. You know how hard that is during Christmas season? You know how hard it is when you make such good food? You know how hard it is when you bake things and you give me cookies? It's so difficult. And so I actually have to think things through because now my grandchildren, I have three now. One is seven, one is five, one is three. They love to play, full of energy. And if you're a grandparent, you understand these children have a lot of energy. But I want to play with them. That's a promise from God. And now I get to play with them. Why? Because years ago, God says you need to stay healthy, you need to exercise, you need to eat right. I know for some of you right now, that's a tough thing to switch right now. 
It's like, oh, I don't want to hear about eating healthy. I don't want to, not right now, not during Christmas. Come on, don't do that to me right now. I love the chips and dips. I love the cakes. I love the frosting. I love the cookies. I love all the pies. Notice I'm only mentioning desserts. Yeah. There's other foods to eat. I know there is, but I'm, I, I like desserts. I love ice cream. I can eat a whole tub of ice cream sitting down, no problem. It's easy to do. I want to, but I choose not to. Am I craving it right now? Absolutely. Am I hungry right after third service? Yes, I am. Do I pig out after third service? No, I don't. Do I want to? Yes, I do. People, when I go to the kitchen, people say, oh, are you hungry? I say, yes, I am. They say, you want something to eat? I said, yes, I do. Do you want us to make you a plate? No, I don't. Not right now. Not right now. There's, a, there's, a, a, there's just something inside of us that is going to fight the promise of God because of the premise. And this premise is so hard that we will need God to be strengthened in it. That's what John the Baptist represented. The preparing of the way before the Messiah. He prepared the way. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, verses 2 through 8, God says, all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and be blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your field... Of, and the crops of your land, and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and be blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord, your God, will bless you in the land he is giving you. So here's our jingle, okay? We're going to say this together. When life's a mess, his promise remains. You do that? I know I sing weird, but... You can do it better. When, his, when life is a mess, his promise remains. Can you say that? Ready? Go. When life is a mess, his promise remains. So we're going to try and sing it. Let's get our singing, let's get our singing voice ready. La, 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 la. Okay, let's, let's get our singing voices good. Clear our chest out. We should have put that up because now you forgot. When life is a mess, his promise remains. Ready? Go. When life's a mess, his promise remains. Oh, so good. Almost sound like a choir. I mean, really far from it, but almost. <laughs> John, John was proof that God's promises remained. John was that proof that the promises of God still remained because John was preparing the way for the Messiah. That was John's primary assignment here on this earth. It was to prepare the way for Jesus. And the fact that John was doing that allowed the people to remember that when life's a mess, his promise remains. And John was there to show us that way to Christ. The second thing that God shows us is that God will always prepare me for his promises. He will always prepare us for his promises. That before every promise, there is a premise, but he prepares us in that premise time for his promise. You know, in, when I visited this uh, one restaurant in Seattle. I, I think I told you this story before, but in, in, this, in this restaurant, uh, usually when I look at a, a menu, I look for desserts first so that I know how many miles I need to run after or before I order these things. And that way I can get my exercise in so that if I'm going to eat a dessert and it's like 1,000 calories, I can kind of level it off and I'll just run to Kona and back and then I can eat good desserts. So I'm, I'm looking at the menu, and I notice that they have malt shakes. That's, that's like my favorite meal. But if you, or if you put peanut butter in this malt shake, even better. So I, I, the reason why I love malt shakes, uh, peanut butter malt shakes, is because I love peanut butter, I love malt, I love ice cream. They're all in one. I don't have to touch anything. The straw is there, and I can do it without even looking. So it's, it's like an all-in-one meal. So I ask them... Uh, can I have this peanut butter malt shake? 
and can I have extra peanut butter? They said, absolutely. So he brings the, the peanut butter milkshake in that silver thing that they used to, to you know, uh, make it. So I think that's genius because I don't want them to waste pouring into my cup. And there's still leftover in there. I know you're like that too. You're like, come on, pour the whole thing. I paid for that whole thing. Pour the whole thing. Give me extra. Put it in another cup. Like when you go to Jamba Juice, like, pop, 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 pop. keep going, keep going. What? That's all. So I have this thing in the cup. And so I, I, I drink this thing, and super good. It's not too sweet. It's perfect. And so I fall in love with this peanut butter malt shake. So I go there the next day, and I walk in, and, and I said, I'll take that peanut butter malt shake you made yesterday. And they said, oh, we ran out of peanut butter. I said, what? <laughs> I started, like, I'm checking my pulse. I'm thinking, how, how can you? I actually tell the guy, uh, I, said, I said, Ryan, how can you run out of peanut butter? Like, yesterday I came in. If you saw the jar low, go get some. The store is right there. And how could you run out of peanut butter? He said, oh, I'm so sorry. We just didn't order. I said, how could you not order? I almost asked him, you, when you're running out of toilet paper, you don't just stay there. <laughs> you, you go refill it. You go get another one. You don't just sit there for days and say, oh, no, long, no more toilet paper. No, you do something about it. So is it is with peanut butter. When you run out, go get it. So I'm just all, you know, I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm losing it. So I, I, so I, and Heidi's like consoling me. It's okay. It's okay, honey. I'm like, <laughs> peanut butter. So I, I'm fine. So we, we go to this other place and to this one mall. And there's a lot of eateries there. Now, this is lunchtime. So I see the same franchise, but it's more like a, like a the hole-in-the-wall type. So I walk up to them, and I look, and I check the menu. <gasps> they have malt shakes and peanut butter malt shake. And so I, with a big smile, I'm so happy. I said, can I get a large peanut butter malt shake? You guys have peanut butter, right? She goes, yes, we have peanut butter. I said, oh, whew. Okay, so I'll take a large peanut butter malt shake with extra peanut butter. She goes, oh, we ran out of vanilla ice cream. <laughs> I was like, Lord, is this you? Is this you behind this? And I said, wait, I said, how can you run out of ice cream? How can you run out of ice cream? When you see your ice cream running low, should you not say to yourself, let's go get more ice cream? If you're sitting on the toilet... I was ready to go into that bit, but I thought, nah, never mind. I was so discouraged. I was, I was like, why? Why is it like this? And, it's, and here, here's why I was struggling. Because I love desserts. I love peanut butter malt shakes. I love, obviously, because I'm taking 10 minutes to tell you this story. <laughs> I love, this, is, this was my promise. This was my promise. But they didn't prepare for the promise. And I'm like, come on! I almost wrote letters to the company. I, I'm serious. I was, I, was that, I was that close. And I've never gotten a peanut butter malt shake ever since. It's like I really want to fly to Seattle and just get a peanut butter malt shake just so that I can satisfy that craving. But I'm scared to. Because they might not have peanut butter or ice cream. I might just bring my own and say, here, can you shake this for me? <laughs> and I thought, you, you know, when God has a promise for us, we can taste it. We know it's there. We know our marriage can be there. We know our relationships can be there. We know we can be there financially. We know we can be there in our relationships with our loved ones. We know we can be there in our career, in our health with our family members. We know we can be there. But he wants to prepare us for it. And some of us have a hard time in the preparing of it. Sometimes we say this phrase, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. But you know what is interesting about John the Baptist in him preparing the way? Yes, it was difficult for John, so difficult that John himself was thrown into prison and actually beheaded for what he stood for. It is difficult. John could attest to that. 
But John didn't turn away from his assignment. He didn't turn away from preparing because he knew that God's promise was about to come to pass. He always wants to prepare us. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, God says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, and suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. God spoke this hundreds of years before John the Baptist was even born. But God knew. He was already preparing his people. And God is preparing us as a people. You know, uh, two weeks ago I shared at our vision night that 2017, well, 2016, this year, was our year of harvest, that many people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we've seen that over a 1,000 people said yes to Jesus this past year at this church. I think God deserves all the glory for that. People said yes to him. That's called salvation. So we always thank God for that. But this next year, 2017, the word God gave to us as a church is that 2017 is the year of change. That God wants to change us. Not just as a, as a church, but as individuals. Be, because before God changes us as a church, he's going to have to change us as the church. So 2017, know that God is going to bring change in our lives. We just got to prepare for it. And not just think it's going to happen. He's going to prepare us for that. He's going to prepare the way. In Luke chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. There's a thing called the Nazarite vow, and that's what John the Baptist lived by. He wasn't going to drink strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah had to prepare for John, even though gripped with fear. The angel said to him, do not be fearful. It'll be okay. And here's the proof. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. In other words, God prepared Zechariah even before John prepared the way for Jesus. God will always prepare us. And when God prepares, he does it in many ways. Sometimes it's not always pretty, fun-filled, exciting, or festive. John didn't appear to have a very successful career. He, he wasn't the most outgoing person. He was isolated. And he was the one in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Who was dressed with camel hair and ate wild honey and ate locust. He didn't sound like the person that would prepare the way for Jesus but he experienced prison because of what he believed in. Moral values. Because he was outspoken about it, he was thrown into prison by Herod, who was the governor at that time, because John spoke about Herod and his relationship. And then John was beheaded in his early 30s. Doesn't look like a, a great life, a legacy. But Jesus himself said, John the Baptist is the greatest of them all. Now here's the promise that God gives to us. As, as messy as life can be, Philippians 4.19 tells us, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This is where the promise of God is met. It's at the feet of the cross of Christ. It's when Jesus came to this earth and then died for our sins. God says, here's your promise. He's going to provide all the riches. He's going to provide all your needs because of the riches, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Listen, here's the last thing. Miracles begin messy. We like the end results of the miracle, but miracles begin messy. They don't, they don't start off looking great. Every miracle started with a problem. And Jesus healed the sick, opened the eyes of the blind, raised the dead to life. Even Jesus himself on the cross 
the promise of God of eternal life didn't start off looking good. It started off messy. The cross is very messy. But before the miracle of the resurrection, there needed to be the mess of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Before every miracle, there is a mess. And if there's some kind of mess in your life right now, you qualify for a miracle. Think of all the greatest... I'm going back to food now. Think of all the greatest food, the best foods you like. I, I, I already talked about dessert, so let's put that on the side. I also love poke. I love raw fish. But it doesn't, it doesn't just show up on the platter all nice. It begins messy. It starts off with a fisherman. Someone catching that fish. That's not pretty. They throw bait in the water. They chum the water so that more fish come around so that when they fish, they can catch them. And then when they catch the fish, they have to clean the fish. And if you've ever cleaned fish before, it's not, it's not clean. It's very messy. It's very messy. So you don't, you don't clean fish in your living room. You don't sit on the couch and clean fish watching TV. Hey, honey, what you doing? Just cleaning some fish, scaling fish. It's messy. But boy, when it's on the platter, oh, super good. When you fry it, super good. Oh, we love that part of it. We love the promise of fried akule. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> you love steak, but you don't go to the farm and watch them make steak. It's very messy. You love bacon. But have you seen where bacon comes from? What animal makes bacon? I think that's God's greatest plan right there. It's like the messiest animal makes the greatest food. Amazing. The pig is a miracle in itself. It's messy. Life is messy. And if you encounter some messes, be on the lookout for the miracle. Stay there. Stay there with God. Stay close to Him. Don't just bail out. Stay close to the Father. That's why Jesus came. That's why we call Him Emmanuel. It means God with us. That's why we sang that song. It is God with us. That's the promise of God. God says, I'm going to be with you no matter what. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. It was in the time of Herod, the king of Judea. There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Whose, his wife was Elizabeth, who was also a descendant, a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, before this promise of John, Elizabeth and Zechariah had some issues in their life because she couldn't have a child. And that was a big thing back then. And for some of you, that is even still today. But for them, because Elizabeth could not have a child, then she was almost like put on the side in the community because she, there, was, there was no one to carry the bloodline, the name. So she was kind of not looked upon as the greatest. Their life was pretty messy. But then God brings his promise to them. They were blameless before God. You know, all the, all the heartache and pain we go through, but we understand that there's a promise ahead. When we stay close to God, we'll see that promise come to pass. But when we bail out, even as believers, bail out of our families, we bail out of this situation, that situation, we don't resolve things, we just bail out. You know who ends up suffering? Our children. Our children suffer. Because they watch us. They watch mommy and daddy. They watch us as grandparents. They watch us, and they want to see how we are going to handle the promises of God. Are we going to stay true to who God called us to be? As Zechariah and Elizabeth was, they stayed true to God. Blameless. They stayed true to God. 
Can we stay true to the things of God because of his promises? He's going to prepare us for his promise, but in the, in the preparing, can we stay true to him even though the promise didn't come to pass? Can we stay true? If not, and we bail, people are watching. Our children are watching. Our grandchildren are watching. And you know what actually happens? They take the hit. Our families split up. Things go bad. They take the hit. And guess who they blame? They blame God. Because, God, why, why did this happen to my family? Why, why did this happen? So they don't understand. Do you see how incredibly important it is for us to understand that God prepares us for the promise? It's the preparing time, and that is so difficult. Now, you may be on the other side of it, and you may have made mistakes. You may have made decisions. Maybe you made a decision that you thought was going to be the promise of God. Maybe you thought it was going to turn out okay, but now you're dealing with the consequences. There's hurt. There is pain. This is where Zechariah's song comes in. He says, you can be redeemed. You can be saved. Stay close to God. You may feel that, boy, I, I didn't know life was going to be like this. And once again, God reminds us, Jesus is with you. Therefore, God is with you. God is with us. So life isn't over. It doesn't matter where you are in life. God can give you a new beginning today when you think it's the, ver- the very end. Your end might be the end of his one chapter of the next chapter of your life. So don't think that this is the end. Just know that his promises still remain. When life's a mess, his promise remains. His promise is always going to be there. Life will always be messy. Your past has no authority to limit your future. Only you have that authority. And you take that authority. Some of you have been to New York and you've you visited what we call Freedom Tower or, or Tower One. And you visited that tower. And it's a beautiful tower. The, the, the architecture of it, it was done in such a way that it makes it look like it's a twisting uh, a building. And there's significance to it. There's significance to the foundation and the way it was designed. And it was to show the world our resilience. It was to let the world know that we still live in a land of the free. That we are at home and are brave. That's what it represents. But for some people, when they, when they didn't experience 9-11 in 2001, because of that, they may never understand what that building represents. But it represents something. And when we see something like the World Trade Center and what took place and all the ashes that were there, the crumbling of the building, the debris that were there, that was there at that time in 2001, when we see all of that at that specific time, I don't think anyone had the vision of Freedom Tower at that specific moment. They didn't have the vision of the streets are going to be cleaned up, that everything is going to be fine after that they're going to bring this wonderful building back up. I don't think anyone could see that at that moment because of the ashes. But you go to New York today stronger than ever because of the people of this great nation that God bless America. He has promises for us. Out of ashes, we rise up. Life can be a mess. You may be in ashes right now. You may have some debris in your life. But when life is a mess, his promise remains. Amen. And close your Bibles and put away your notes. I'm going to ask Glenn to come to the keyboard. You know, I believe for some of us, God is building a freedom tower. He's building us up. He's building our lives. He's building our families but sometimes we see the rubbish, we see the mess, and we focus solely on that, primarily on that. And God says, hang on, I want to give you vision for your future. This is what it looks like. Oh, it's going to take some time in the building up. There's going to be a premise. There's going to be some instruction. But don't give up. You stay close to me. That is why I sent 
my one and only son. It is God with us so that you could be close to me. And he's building our lives. He's building us up. Out of ashes, God can make us rise. As the Bible says, he can turn ashes into beauty. Only God can do something like that with our lives. Let him do that this Christmas season. And let that jingle stay in your mind. When life's a mess, his promise remains. Just keep that to you. Sing it better than I do. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Lord, we thank you that when life is a mess, your promise remains. In the season that we're in, we are reminded that you are with us. That's why you sent us Jesus Christ. I'm sure there are some this morning that you're here today and you're saying, I've never given my heart to Jesus. I've never said yes to him, but I want to. I want to give him my heart. I want, I want to be in this relationship with God. I want to be near to him. And so I call upon him right now. And the Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Before every promise, there is a premise that God says, if you do this, then I'll do this. And if you want Jesus into your heart, I'm going to say a prayer. You can repeat after me. In fact, we can all say this prayer together. And if you want to receive Jesus, say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean and make me brand new. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave to give me eternal life. So I receive this. I hang on to your promises. Because when life is a mess, your promise remains. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you just said that prayer for the first time, would you just lift a hand real briefly? And I just want to pray over you, God's blessing. If you said yes to Jesus today, yeah, God sees you right there. God sees you, both of you. God bless you. Yeah, right here, God sees your hand. He heard your prayer. Yeah. Okay. You can put your hands down. Lord, I pray your blessing over those that said yes to you this morning. I pray that their eyes would be open, their hearts would be open to you, and that they would see your glory, that they would hang on to you, closely to you, so that the promises up ahead they will see come to pass. And with every promise, there is a premise, but you prepare us for your promises. And so as you prepare their hearts, all of our hearts, Lord, we say thank you that you never have failed us. Your promise remains even when life is a mess. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together, amen.